light readings we have this morning, huh? Yeah. I came across an article this week from an author and Old Testament professor, Chad Bird, titled, When We Wish God Didn't Exist. Kind of a shocking title, right? And it obviously caught my eye. But instead of a clickbait title leading to a nonsense webpage, I found a lovely, real, and honest struggle from a person who we'd expect to have his faith kind of figured out. And I'd like to share a little bit from it to start this morning. He begins, When someone says, I don't know how unbelievers make it through tough times without God in their lives, I'm always tempted to respond, Well, it's been in the toughest times of my life. I wished God didn't exist. If there were no God, we wouldn't be stuck trying to reconcile the existence of a God who supposedly loves us with the fact that we're lonely and hurting and feel like God couldn't care less. So we cry out, Have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? My God, my God, what good is your existence if you sit on your hands while my life is falling apart? The suffering me becomes the questioning me, becomes the doubting me. And that final me teeters on the brink of despair. Now, I'm not going to make you raise your hands for this one, but how many of you have ever felt this same way. If I did make you raise your hands, I'm guessing mine would not be the only one up in the air. When things in our lives, in our communities, in our world are chaotic and hard and cause us pain, we all have a tendency to go here. Maybe not all the time, but we do go here. That last line from his beginning of his article where he said, the suffering me becomes the questioning me, becomes the doubting me, feels so true. And so I knew that I had to preach on Lamentations today instead of the other texts for this morning. Honestly, I didn't even have us read the gospel this morning from Matthew. I chose the other two for this reason. So, really, this time by a show of hands, how many of you have heard of the book of Lamentations? Good. How many of you have read it? Ooh, a few. Nice. It's not the most popular book of the Bible. It's usually not even where we turn when we're struggling. And why not, right? It's all about struggle. And I don't know about you, but sometimes... I want to read about people who are also struggling when I'm in the middle of something difficult. If we would have read a larger section of this text, either before or after the one in front of us today, we would have gotten even more of a flavor of this lament found in this book. But even what we read today, those short eight verses were enough. The author of Lamentations knows what hard times feel like. He says, My soul is bereft of peace, and I have forgotten what happiness is. He gets it. 
right? Any of us who've ever gone through something difficult have felt like this in those moments. It might feel a little melodramatic when you're not in it, but if you're in the middle of it, this feels real. He continues, my soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. Right? Katie gave us that image of sadness from inside out just being bowed down. She's just slumped over all the time. This is what it feels like. The weight of life can be heavy. Now the book of Lamentations is only five chapters long. And the bit of hope we heard Aiden read so well comes right in the middle. Kind of right when we need it most. And it's just lovely. He says, but this I call to mind. This I call to mind and therefore I have hope. What gives me hope? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's like a breath of fresh air or a drink of really cold water on a hot day. It's a reminder that though things are not good now and maybe they aren't even going to be good tomorrow, the promises of God mean something. It feels kind of weird for me to stand up here and say, I love lamentations, right? That's kind of a sentence you don't really think you'd hear that often. But it is my go-to book. In fact, this section is my go-to section of scripture when I'm struggling. I know many people often go to the easier-to-read, happy, and positive books of scripture first. And yes, lamentations is not easy to read, but it is real. Sometimes it feels like one of the most honest and true readings in all of Scripture. See, I think we as Christians get this reputation of being good and happy and shiny and perfect when the reality is we are tired and sinful and hurting and barely holding it together. The world is broken and we are broken. And we have this faith that constantly reminds us of our belovedness and redemption and healing and forgiveness. And so it becomes kind of hard to reconcile our gifted wholeness with the day-to-day reality of our brokenness. This is why we have lament. It's not often something we take the time to do or even like to do, really. I come from a suck-it-up family. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of us. Good old Germans in the room, that's right. I was raised that way. Suck it up. And sometimes I find myself telling my own daughter, stop crying, especially when the thing she's crying about is, in my opinion, kind of insignificant, right? And lately, my darling Layla has started saying to me through her tears, it's okay to cry, Mom. And that's true, right? I mean, hi, have you met me? Hello? I'm aware how okay it is to cry. 
Anyone who's heard me preach before this knows that crying is not something that I find very difficult to do. I have seen Moana about half a dozen times, and I have yet to make it through without some kind of ugly heave cry. And yet, despite you all having to get used to my very public tears, we're not all that comfortable with it. Most of us don't like sad things. We don't like hard things. And if we're honest, we usually do everything we can to pretend and ignore and numb. But lament, it lets us be broken. It gives us space to feel our feelings of grief and sadness about whatever is weighing on us, and it lets us be exactly how broken we are. It's often the most real and most true. Chad talked last week about our shared brokenness, that it's our broken places where we can really see each other and connect with each other. And to that, I would add, our broken places are also the places where God meets us. My friend and pastor, Steve Weens, who was here at our Wednesday worship in the beginning of June, says he thinks that most people believe they're an agenda for Jesus. They believe that Jesus just wants to change them, clean them up a little bit, and send them on out. Has anyone ever felt that way? Right? It kind of feels like maybe this is what church has become. And it's not. It is not true. God meets us in our broken places and never makes getting right or being better a thing we have to do in order to be worthy of God's love. It's not our actions that make us loved, but God's love given to us while we are broken. That makes us whole. And when we are stuck on this image of needing to be perfect or worthy in order to deserve this love, then we hide our brokenness instead of putting it out there and sitting with it. This is why we need lament. We need to see how broken we are before we can see God's place in our healing. We need to see why it's okay for us to not be okay. And we need to see why it matters that we believe in a God who loves us no matter what and meets us right where we are. So we're going to do a little lamenting together today. The band is going to come up and they're going to sing one song. And we're going to lament We're going to take this time, three minutes. You can do it. I know you can, Prince of Peace. We're going to think about where we're struggling, where we aren't whole, where we need help and healing the most. I'm in a group on Facebook that, that openly puts their struggles and lament out there on a regular basis, and it is so beautiful. And one of the things that we repeat to each other over and over again in this group is that your struggle is your struggle. The worst thing you've been through is the worst thing you've been through. And that is our lament.
You don't have to compare your struggle to somebody else's. Your thing is your thing and it is real. And the most honest and beautiful thing you can do is hold it out and show how broken you are to a God who loves you and will meet you there in that place. So we're going to take this time. Maybe you need it for yourself. Maybe you spend a little time thinking of someone else. But today, together, we're going to lament.
same article, Chad Bird said, When we cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ answers, My child, my child, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You may not feel me there, but I am as close to you as the breath you breathe. Nearer to you than the blood in your veins. I feel your body shake as you cry. I taste your tears. I am with you always, even to the brink of despair. Even when you plummet into the pit of unbelief, I am there with you. When you are faithless, I will be faithful to you. For I cannot deny myself. When your hold on hope can't last, when you're shunned as an outcast, I will hold you. This side of God has been made known to us in Jesus. He never gives up on us. We may kick and scream and cuss and fight But when it's all over, he has not moved an inch away. He is not a fair weather God. And he is not a God who leaves the wounded behind. It is not our faithfulness to God that matters most, but God's faithfulness to us. Look again at that glimmer of hope in verse 22, right in the middle of all this pain and sorrow and difficulty, there is this reminder that God's mercies are new every day. And then the author sings, great is God's faithfulness. It's this reminder of God's faithfulness that brings comfort and peace and hope in the midst of our lament and despair right in the middle of it, right where we are. It's not that things will magically get better or we'll suddenly have all the answers we seek, but in the midst of things we don't understand, we trust in God and have hope that God is faithful. At the end of our Romans text today, Paul said, Hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what is seen. We can't hope in something that is here already. We hope for something that is still coming. For those of you who read my weekly uplift, you know now a few times that the Greek word we translate as hope is elpis. It literally means the expectation of good. So we hope. We expect good from our faithful God. Our faithful God who loves us even in the midst of our lament and our despair. And so this morning as we gather again around the font as Bentley is washed in the waters of baptism and we can remember that we too are claimed and named and loved. That our lives in all their ups and downs are forever tied to the one who loves us, who does not leave us even when we push him away who comes to us, not the other way around, with arms open, always saying, Beloved child of God, you are mine, 
and I am yours. For this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. Amen. You're my one defense, my right.